This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Alik yawmiddin. Allahumma laka alhamdu wa ilayka al-mushtaka wa bika thiqatu wa alayka al-tuklan. Wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-aliyul azim. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri. Ta'ala, we are continuing our tafsir lesson. We are in Surah Al-Baqarah, of the tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 223. Ayah number 223. Now, the previous lesson, we covered the ayats that were speaking about the rules related to marriage. Certain rules related to marriage. And I mentioned that from now on, many of the lessons that we will cover will be about rulings, the do's and don'ts. If you split Surah Al-Baqarah into two, the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, the first juz and a half or so, it's about preparing you to be the type of Muslim that when you hear about the rules of Allah, the laws of Allah, the do's and don'ts, that you are receptive. Allah doesn't want me to do this, I won't do this. Allah wants me to do this, I will do this. So this is why in the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, we covered a lot of stories, a lot of encouraging ayats, a lot of lessons, the story of Prophet Ibrahim and how he submitted. Now it's all about the rules and, and, and how we live our lives. It also teaches you that the book of Allah, the Qur'an, and the revelation that the Prophet ﷺ received in the form of the Qur'an or even the Sunnah, there, it's not just spirituality. It's not just um, your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from a tazkiyah sense, from your heart. And, and it is also how to govern your life. It teaches you how to live your life. So the, the, these rules... There is marriage law, and and we'll we'll see how how do you marry? Who do you marry? Not only that, uh, once you are married, what are the do's and don'ts within your marriage? Not all marriages work out. If a marriage doesn't work out, what do we do? How is the divorce procedure done? All of this will be covered, inshallah ta'ala in the following the following uh, uh, days that we are doing uh, the tafsir. The last ayah that we read was the companions. Asking about uh, it was first Allah Subhanahu wa Taala telling us uh, about that uh, do not marry the disbelieving woman until they become believers. Uh, ayah number two hundred twenty-one. We learned from there that men are not allowed to marry a Muslim. Men are not allowed to marry non-believing women. You're not allowed to marry them. And there was one exception that was made in another surah, and that was the exception of the people known as the Ahlul Kitab. And the Ahlul Kitab are the practicing Jews and Christians. They, you are allowed to marry them, but there are certain conditions there as well. Number one, that the, the woman that you are marrying is a woman that is upholding her chastity, not someone that is promiscuous, and two, a practicing, practicing that religion and that faith. So it shouldn't be, you know, a lot of people will, 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 will attribute themselves to a religion by name, right? That wouldn't be considered someone that is Jewish or Christian. Now, that being said, is it encouraged? No, it is not encouraged. Who can tell me a reason why that would not be encouraged? 
Why would it not be encouraged for you to marry a, a, a practicing Christian woman? If it's halal for you. Or a practicing Jewish woman. Practicing Judaism of course. Why, although that is allowed, if those conditions are met, why would that still not be encouraged? Can anyone give me a reason? Um, yes, brother. If you have a divorce, your kids may grow up as non-believers. Or, let's say you don't have a divorce. Let's say the marriage works out. Yes? Confusion. So, because of the aspect of confusion that can be present, because of the aspect of the children being confused, if there's different faiths in one household, it is not recommended. But can, but, but then it's allowed. Does that make sense? But those conditions are, must be met. Um, what about for the woman? Is it allowed for her? No, it's never allowed for her. So, a believing woman is never allowed to marry a a non-believing man. All they are allowed to marry is a, a Muslim. These are what we've covered uh, last time. So now you know certain rules about marriage. And if you understood the point of Surah Al-Baqarah, which is do as you are told, submit to the laws of Allah, you'd accept that. Right? Now, if someone says, that is not fair. That is not fair. Why is it that men get an exception and women don't get an exception? That is not fair then we, or that is not equal. We answer this in the following way. Number one, who decides who gets what? Who decides that? Because I haven't come across many men that are saying, Sheikh, excuse me, Allah says that a woman should get a dowry. It's not fair. Men need a dowry as well. Or, uh, it's not fair, men may be drafted to war, but women are never. Or, it's not fair, the man has to be providing for the woman, not vice versa. You see a discrepancy in the way people talk about this, number one. Two, responsibilities are handed out by our creator, rights are given also by our creator. So the man has certain responsibilities... And he's not meant to be crying about those responsibilities. He meant to be upholding and fulfilling those responsibilities. As a man, when you marry a woman, you are responsible for her. You have to provide for her. This is your role Allah gave you. You can't say, but it's not fair. Why is she not working? You can't say that. Does that make sense? And similarly for the sisters. Right? These are, uh, and, and this, this is, we live under Allah's law. And we accept that. Sometimes you have a responsibility and sometimes you have a right and vice versa. And this is coming from a place of divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. Tayyib. Uh, and uh, there are... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala treats His creation with justice. And He knows what's best for them. And just like we completely understand how unjust it would be to accept women to go to battle. Right? That would be unjust, Right? No, this is why, except recently maybe, uh, historically, people wouldn't ask, the woman and the children would be protected, and the men would be the one that's doing the, the protecting, right? Never was there a conversation about, wait, that's not fair. Everyone understood their roles and, and was okay with that. 
It's only recently that you have this confusion. And this is why when we are reading the Quran, when we are reading the Sunnah, what you find is a you, you find justice, not necessarily making everything equal. Because when you make everything equal, you can fall into injustice. When you make everything equal, you'll, you, you, will, you may ask of people things that you were not supposed to ask them. Does that make sense? So, um, if someone has a daughter and a son, and they're putting shops, uh, they, 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 they're, putting, um, they're carrying shopping into the house, and the father says to his daughter, go on inside the house, and to his son, listen, help me with, the, with this stuff. Is that fair? What if he says, why does she get to go into the house and you're asking me to carry the shopping with you, dad? Right? What do you think would be a decent answer? She's a girl and you're a boy. You are what? Physically what? Able and stronger. Right? And this is why. Uh, this, but people don't even think about it. You'll see these things and uh, you see a... Uh, you, you see a... Um, a family and they're moving houses and who's doing the heavy lifting? The men are. Now imagine they said, Aisha, Fatima, come on, get the, get the fridge out of the house and the washing machine. No one does that because it's our, we immediately know something is wrong with that. Does that make sense? Right? And this idea that everyone is, we're not physically equal, our capabilities are not the same, our emotions are not the same, the way we think is not the same, the way we are is not the same, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thus has not dealt us in the same way. Does that make sense? So the question, why does a man get to marry? We say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his divine wisdom has given rights and responsibilities and the men have been given the exception, the women have. I mean, you can think of many wisdoms for it, but before you start thinking about the wisdoms, accept the fact that not all rules will apply to men and women the same. Does that make sense? Tayyib. So after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about the difference between the believer and the non-believer. And that, all, and that um, no matter, we don't, in Islam, we don't look at status uh, or, or we look at faith. The key determining factor of union and marriage is faith. That is why the faithful only marry the faithful. And faith here, I mean deen, being Muslim. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that um, you're not allowed to, in, a believing man is not allowed to marry a non-believing woman. And even if, um, and no matter what, and we gave the exception, similarly for the woman. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in ayah number 222, speaks about uh, mahid, or haid. Haid is the menaces, the monthly cycle of the woman. Why are we talking about the monthly cycle of the woman all of a sudden? Because when people are married, and now you have a man and a woman living in the same house. Among the things that happen to a woman is that she goes through a monthly cycle. And with that comes certain rules. And certain ahkam that you must, she must know and you must know. As a husband you must know, and she as a wife she has to know. Some are limited to herself. For example, when a woman is on her monthly cycle, she doesn't pray. Right? She doesn't have to pray. And when it's finished, she starts her prayer. Does she need to make up those missed prayers? No, she doesn't. So a woman on her cycle does not have to make up any missed prayers. She also doesn't fast. But she makes up the fasts. She makes up the fasts. 
And I encourage any sisters that are here or sisters that are watching that if you have missed some fasts, Ramadan is coming, make sure that you're making them up now. And it also goes for the brothers. Let's say you were sick or anything or you were traveling. Make sure that you are not forgetting and you realize all of a sudden Ramadan is next week and you have fasts to make up. So those are two rules now already. She doesn't pray and she doesn't have to make up the prayer. She doesn't fast, but she has to make up those fasts afterwards. Um, also, some of the things is that they, they don't come to the masjid when they're on, in their cycle. And um, there are other rules, as, uh, as I mentioned in our last lesson as well. One rule that affects them both is you're not allowed to have be physically intimate during this time. You're not allowed to be physically intimate during this time. And here you'll see a distinction again, because during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu the Yahud that lived in Medina, they had a rule. And their rule was when a woman is on her cycle, she is completely quarantined and they would have nothing to do with her. This is how they would, you're on your cycle and um, you're quarantined. You, they wouldn't sit with her, eat with her, anything like this, right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us, no, she's part of the family, she cooks and she's with you and she sits with you and you. The, everything is the same as it was before. The only thing is, other than the rules we mentioned earlier, the other thing is that you're not allowed to be physically intimate. And that means also any steps before that that can escalate to intimacy are avoided as well. Um, I think the married brothers understand what I'm talking about. So you also avoid any steps that can lead to intimacy as well. Because you have to safeguard yourself and safeguard her. Um, this, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We mentioned, we covered this ayah last week, but I'm just doing a recap. So they ask you concerning the menaces. Say, So they ask you about relations during the menaces. Menaces say it's harmful. And that you should avoid relations during this time. Do not go near them. Until they are purified, meaning until it ends. Once they then take the ritual bathing and they make their ghusl, afterwards, then you are allowed. Indeed, Allah loves those who repent often and Allah loves those who purify themselves often. Allah also mentioned the ayah, min haith Allah. Mean go on to them where where, where, where Allah has ordered, uh, has ordered you. This also means that um, the and the following ayah that we're going to read now is talking about the same thing. That when you are being intimate and when you're having relations, then that relations can only be done in 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 the manner by which it leads to children. Anything else is not allowed. Um, that doesn't mean that you must conceive. That's up to Allah anyway, but it means that you don't, you, this is the only uh, way you ha- are intimate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, Nisa'ukum, this is ayah number 223, Nisa'ukum Your wives are a tilth for you, so go to your tilth, tilth uh, or when or how you will. And this is re- referencing that uh, any time you're allowed to have relations with your spouse, there's no set times when you're not allowed to. There's actually, there actually is. There is a time uh, that you're not meant to engage in uh, physical relations. Who can tell me when that time is? Yes, very good. When you are fasting. Uh, but in Ramadan, even if you're not fasting, there's a time that you shouldn't. 
Sorry? And no, I mean, no, because it depends on before prayer. You, uh, no. No, no, it's perfectly fine. Uh, during Hajj, very good. Jazakallah khair. When you're in the state of Ihram. In fact, when you're in the state of Ihram, meaning when you uh, announce your intention to make Hajj and you are in the Hajj uh, time, uh, then being intimate can break your Hajj. And that's a, there's a severe penalty for that. Uh, when you do that. So it's very, uh, that's a big no-no. Jazakallah khair. During Hajj, when you are fasting during the day. Um, in fact, can anyone tell me if a, a couple is intimate during the fast, uh, what they have to do? Yes, Akhi. They have to fast two consecutive months to make up for that one day. Right? That's a serious uh, penalty, isn't it? So you're not, of course, you're not allowed to. Uh, but also uh, during i'tikaf. So when you commit yourself to the masjid and you do i'tikaf, you guys know what the i'tikaf is? Then you're not allowed. This is also a time for worship. And one of the things that you don't do is, is, is be intimate. Barakallahu feekum. So, nisa'akum harthun lakum. Your wives are, are like tilth. It means that where crops grow. This is an example. So what is the thing, what is, what is the crop alluding to here? When you plant a seed and the crops grow, your wives, what grows inside of them? Children, a child, right? This is teaching you that, subhanAllah, Allah is talking about intimacy and immediately references children. Thus, the main reason, one of the main reasons, I should say, one of the main reasons why you have intimacy is to have children, right? Is to have children. And um, it's uh, not that that's the only reason. We, we are allowed... So in Islam, you are intimate for procreation, but also recreation. Both is allowed, right? Both is perfectly fine. Um, and both are considered important, if that makes sense. Both are considered. In, in fact, the, some of the following ayat that we'll cover perhaps next week will be uh, about men swearing uh, their wives off, that they're not going to have relations with them, and the implications that has on their marriage. So sometimes they would say, "Khalas, I am done with you," and they will swear that off. And then, what does the woman do if that happens? And how long can that go on before she is allowed to go to a judge and dissolve that marriage? Because the point of marriage is that you find uh, comfort within each other, that you can have relations, that you can be intimate with each other. This is part of the the wisdoms of marriage. So, so, and what you will also learn in uh, in uh, in Islam is that these rules. They take into consideration the person, and Islam is a practical religion. It takes into consideration your feelings, your needs, your wants, your desires. And it's not something that is only dealing with uh, your uh, your worship, but also your day-to-day life, and creating rules for it. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, your wives are like tilth for you, so go to your tilth when and how you will. This teaches you something. The timing doesn't matter except for the exceptions that we made earlier. And the how is also up to you. This is why the scholars, a lot of people, they ask question, Shaykh, is this allowed? Is that allowed? What is the ruling of this? Right? The answer to this is very simple. That which has been made haram uh, is uh, a, a lot less than that which is halal for you. So enjoy yourselves and be intimate as you wish, how you wish, but you must... 
be uh, your, your relations must be uh, by way which children are born. That's the only orifice that you can be intimate from, right? That doesn't mean that you. So some people immediately will ask, "What are contraceptives allowed?" In certain cases, they are allowed. There is, of course, nuances there as well. But the Sahaba, for example, would practice what is known as withdrawal. But uh, it all depends on the reasons and the why. Uh, family planning is allowed. But any relation that happens must happen in the normal, normative, healthy way by which children are born. And two, it cannot be during a time where you're not allowed to, such as when your wife is on her cycle, or in the times that we mentioned when active worship or occurrence, such as hajj, and what was the other one? Uh, fasting. Tayyip. So your wives are, are a tilt for you, meaning a place of where the crops grow. And here is something else. Uh, children are being, uh, the, um, the example of children here is crops. Because crops are what? Beneficial. The children are also beneficial for you. Crops require that you take care of them. So you can take care of your children, you raise them as well, right? And of course, the, um, it also gives you a lesson on the wisdom behind marriage. The wisdom behind marriage is to have children. The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, تَزَوَّجُ الْوَدُودَ الْوَلُودَ فَإِنِّي مُكَاثِرٌ بِكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Marry the woman that is able to have many children and the woman that is very loving, Right? Uh, for the Prophet ﷺ wants as many Muslims as possible. And he will be proud of the amount of Muslims that are there. Right? Uh, this is why it's encouraged to have many children. It's encouraged to have many children. But even this right, it's encouraged to have many children, but you have to give those children their rights. You have to give those children their rights. So having lots of children and then neglecting them is not what Allah and His Messenger want from you. So have children. It is sunnah. Don't even delay having children if you don't have to. But make sure your children are giving, have, have. Often we speak about the parents' rights. We speak about, the, and the parents have great rights. Be dutiful to your mother and father. But as parents, your children have rights. In fact, your unborn child has rights over you. How can your unborn child have rights over you? By choosing a good mother for him. By choosing a good mother for him. Right? By being a good, by preparing yourself to be the best father that you can, you can be. So almost thinking ahead is extremely, extremely important. Allah then says, وَقَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ And send good deeds uh, and uh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bestow you with pious offspring for yourselves beforehand. Meaning, uh, plan ahead for your good deeds. And among the good deeds that you can have is children. Because if you have righteous children and raise them right, they will make dua for you. May Allah grant us righteous offspring. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ and fear Allah. وَعَلَمُوا and know أَنَّكُمْ مُلَاقُوهُ That you one day will meet Allah. You will meet Him. Subhanallah. Our lives revolve around Allah so much that even when we are discussing things as, as related to marriage and, and intimacy, Allah reminds us, fear Allah, you will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning that no matter what aspect of your life is being discussed, if we're discussing ayats related to finance, or we're discussing ayats related to divorce, or ayats related to hajj, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, you will always be reminded to what? Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and, and, and know that you are to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Each one of us will meet our creator. And should this be something that scares us? Yes. Should this also be something that puts joy in our heart? Also yes. And when we talk about meeting Allah, meeting the one who created everything, meeting the one who chose to create you and bring you into existence, the one who you've been worshipping and are worshipping, the one who you've been seeking forgiveness from, the one who you've been making dua to, the one who sent Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the one who sends down rain and makes the crops grow, the one who provides for us, the one who controls the universe, the one and only Allah. Meeting Allah should be something that also creates an excitement, anticipation, and eagerness in you, and also a sense of fear. The one whom you sinned against. The one who asks you to pray. And when you delay your prayer. So you have to have both. And look what Allah tells us here in this ayah. وَعَلَمُوا and know أَنَّكُمْ مُلَاقُوهُ That you will meet him. وَبَشِّرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And congratulate the believers. In other words, for the believers... Meeting Allah is something to congratulate each other for. Congratulations, you get to meet Allah. Congratulations, you get to meet Allah. And then Allah says another ayah, مَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ Whoever hopes to meet Allah. So the believers, they should have a sense of wanting to meet Allah. The Prophet used to say, Oh Allah, I ask you, أَشَّوْقُ إِلَى لِقَائِكَ Oh Allah, grant me an eagerness to meet you. The, Allah, the Prophet said in a hadith about Allah, مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ Whoever loves to meet Allah, أَحَبَّ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهُ Allah loves to meet Him. So when we speak about our Creator, it should have a sense of love and awe as well as a sense of fear. And those two things are the wings that balance the believer. Fear and hope. وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّوْا أَنَّكُمْ مُلَاقُوهُ وَبَشِّرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ So in this ayah, what did we learn? We learned that Allah, when He was describing intimacy and, and the issue between a man and his woman or his spouse, that Allah gave the example of planting a seed and a crop growing tilth. Why? Because among the benefits of being intimate is a child growing in, uh, in the womb of your spouse. And that that's one of the aims of marriage. It also teaches us that's the only way we should be intimate. And any other ways of intimacy, that they are not allowed. And the, only, the, 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 the two things that are prohibited as it relates to physical relations is physical relations that is not happening in the reproductive organ and a physical relationship that is happening in the reproductive organ, but during the time of the monthly cycle. Those two are what? Are not allowed. Is that clear? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us that outside of that, the when and the how is allowed. Then Allah teaches us that we should fear Allah no matter what and have taqwa, and that we will meet Him, and then Allah congratulates who? 
who Allah congratulate as relates to the meeting of Allah, the mu'mineen, the believers. Uh, then following ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enters into a, uh, um, the ayahs that are speaking about a different hukum or a different ruling. And this is to do with what is known as al-yameen. What does al-yameen mean? Who can tell me? To, to the right. Very good. The right. But yameen also means swearing an oath. And it's called yameen and the uh, Plural of that is Ayman And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here وَلَا تَجْعَلُ اللَّهَ عُرْضَةً لِأَيْمَانِكُمْ The word Ayman means your oaths Why would the right hand and the oath What's the relation? The Arabs when they were swearing an oath to each other They would put their ha- right hands into each other That's the relationship So there are certain rules as it relates to Swearing by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala There's an interesting incident that happened between two companions That teaches you the mindset of the Muslim As it relates to swearing and we're swearing, I don't mean insulting, but I mean when you're swearing an oath. When you're saying, for example, I swear by Allah. Or you say, Wallahi. This. The two sahabas, they, one sahabi loaned another money. I believe it was Uthman ibn Affan, this great companion, the son-in-law of the Prophet, and Sa'd ibn Waqas. And this was a, one of the ten that promised paradise. So, then he borrowed him money. So Uthman was borrowed money. Um, Uthman borrowed him Sa'ad money And it was uh, And then when he was meant to pay it back When he was meant to pay it back They disagreed on the amount uh, Sa'ad said it was 4,000 But Uthman said I'm sure I gave you 7,000 It's quite a big difference isn't it Ajib And, and it's, this is interesting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this surah When he talks about the rulings related to debt uh, no, no, that to not that to loaning, that it should be written. Allah mentions write it. When you borrow money from each other, put it in writing. Why the sunnah is to put it in writing? Why is that? If you put it in writing, this will, this disagreement will it happen? It will not happen. What's the relationship between this and swearing an oath? They couldn't agree. Four thousand, seven thousand. They went to Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab anhu, and then Saad said, خلاص, if Uthman swears by Allah, it was 7,000, I'll pay him the 7,000. And look at the reply of Uthman al-Afan. He said, do you think I'm going to swear by Allah over money? Do you think I'm going to swear by Allah over what? Over money. In other words, Allah's name is greater than for me to swear over something as meaningless as money. If, if, you, if, if that's what it comes to, I'm happy with that. With the 4,000. I'm happy with that. With the 4,000. Um, what is the moral of this? That uh, swearing by Allah's name should be something that shouldn't be done too often. And shouldn't be done something that uh, uh, for small things. Uh, I came on time. No, you didn't come on time. Like something trivial as this. We need to start respecting uh, the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Uh, and that uh, the, that's one point. So respect the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do not just use it here willy-nilly whenever. And remember that statement of Uthman ibn Affan where he says, I am, am I, and it was 7,000, right? That's not, that's not a small amount of money, but he still refused to, to make that oath because he saw Allah's name as greater than something that you invoke in this kind of scenario. The other thing about uh, swearing an oath is that 
don't be into the habit of doing it often. Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, usually when he's describing the hypocrites, the munafiqeen, Allah mentions a lot that they used to swear. Right? A lot. يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ يَحْلِفُونَ سَيَحْلِفُونَ Always, they are the ones that are doing, saying, making these oaths. So it's not something that uh, a, the, the believer is known for. Also, that if you're going to do it, that you uphold it and you do not lie. There's, it's a grave, grave sin to use Allah's name and then lie. And also, that you, um, when you make an oath, that you keep to it. That you what? That you keep to it. And if you don't, there's a penalty. There's a penalty. And we'll cover those in the following ayats. And also, that there are certain types of oaths that you're not held to. Such as the ones that are, they became almost part of language. Right? Uh, so when, you're, when you say, Wallahi, but you don't mean to, to swear an oath, it just became part of the, the language of what you say. La wallah, or kalla wallahi, or uh, uh, especially no, say wallahi. You know, people say this to each other. You know, say, and they don't really mean this. The, uh, you know, this is going to happen. Say wallahi. This kind of kalam is not um, the unintentional oath because we will cover in next week where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah does not hold you accountable for your unintentional oaths. Right? Your unintentional oaths. Um, and um, there is a, uh, there's a lot of ahkam, inshallah ta'ala, as relates to this, which we will cover next week. So next week, inshallah ta'ala, we'll cover the ayats related to the swearing of oaths. And then what will happen is the ahkam related to physical intimacy that we sp- spoken about earlier, and the ahkam related to swearing by Allah, which we're speaking about next week, will be combined in the ayah when someone swears by Allah to not have physical relations. And you see also the structure of the Qur'an, right? SubhanAllah, that there is a structure to even the way you're learning these rulings. First, who you're allowed to marry and who you're not allowed to marry. Afterwards, when you are married, the do's and don'ts. After that, in more detail, the rights that you have over each other and the how and the when as relates to intimacy. After that, Allah tells you, okay, we're about to be told about certain men and when they do something called ila'ah. When they do something called ila, which is to have an oath not to have relations, that what are the ramifications of that? But before that, learn some rulings as it relates to oath generally. It gives you, the, like I said to you, a lot of our tafsir lessons will be fiqh related. I'll conclude here not to take too long for you guys. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.